1: Welcome to the Daniel Warman Show. It's yours truly coming to you live from the Dream Magic Studios here. It's 9 a.m. Eastern. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call and all time zones in between and around the world. It's Tuesday, April 16th, and we are joined right here at the top of the show by Daniel Whelan. Daniel, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: So, tell everybody a little bit about what uh, you're currently doing right now in terms of coaching. Where where are you on staff at as a coach?
0: I am the men's soccer coach at the University of Mobile, and I'm also a staff coach, a uh, staff coach at Gulf Coast Range.
1: And um, how long have you been at the University of Mobile? How long? Yeah, for how long have you been uh, on staff at uh, the University of Mobile?
0: Nine years. Nine years.
1: Nine years, and how many as a, as a head coach versus an assistant?
0: I was an assistant from 2010 till uh, the end of the 2013 season, and then I've been the head coach from 2014 until now.
1: Okay, and. Um, and and you've been with Gulf Coast Rangers or some version of Gulf Coast Rangers for how long?
0: Uh, nine years.
1: Okay, so about the same same length of time there. Yes. And before you, you came into the Mobile area, uh, where were you? What, what was a little bit of your background in terms of coaching or playing that kind of led you to end up in Mobile?
0: Well, I... Um... I played collegiately at Embry Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. And before that I played um, I played youth football in England where I'm from and uh, and when that wasn't working out, I, I was lucky enough to be able to come to the states and I've been here ever since.
1: So let let's go let's go there for a second um, in terms of your your playing career coming up as a youth player. Um, from England, what part of England in, in what club or system were you connected to, um, as a player coming well,
0: up? Well, I'm from, uh, I'm from Stockport, England, which is, uh, which is in greater Manchester. And I went to Blackburn Rovers at the age of 11. And I was there from the age of 11 until I was almost 19, um, I was released just before my 19th birthday, uh, I suppose like the March, April before my 19th birthday. And then luckily enough, uh, a guy walked into to, tr- to like the, not training, but we were all like kind of like hanging out one day and a guy walked in who had been released two years previously and he was at Embry-Riddle in uh, Daytona Beach and he just said, would it be something that I would be interested in? I said yes,
1: and uh, and
0: that was it. Really, got accepted into the university, and, and to Daytona Beach, I went.
1: Now, obviously, growing up in England and then playing with with Blackburn Rovers, you you're dreaming of of playing in in the Premier League, right? I mean, that's the dream that you're that yes you're going for, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that was the dream.
1: And and so you 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 get close right you get it, it's a, a, a lot closer than most soccer players will ever get the opportunity to to experience yes what, well
0: yeah i got I, yeah close yeah
1: so so where what um what was that feeling like when they came in to kind of sit you down and say hey look there's just not a future with us going forward
0: uh to be honest for me, it wasn't a surprise because I wasn't in the uh I wasn't in the top three or four players in my age group um I'd seen many players previously who were who I knew were better than me through you know at the same stage when they were under nineteens um that hadn't gone on to to get a professional contract. Um, so it, it it wasn't really a surprise. I kind of knew, uh, you know, in all reality, if, uh, you know, I think if you if you're honest, you know, I think it was it wasn't really a surprise for me. Also, um, my dad would always say to me, you know, they're using you to give the best players or the players they think have got a chance of playing first team football again. So you need to use them to get the best you can out of them. Um, so that was kind of my outlook on it, but it wasn't really a surprise, to be honest.
1: Now, growing up there in in England, um, do, do you have siblings? One sister. You have a sister, so so basically, you were the the only one in the house that was kind of pursuing this this path of of trying yes. to to become a professional footballer. Yes. So you're going through. You, you kind of you know you're saying, okay, I, I can I could see. Um, the end of the road coming up, and so this was this is not shocking or or, or earth shattering. I, I'm I'm kind of coming to grips with reality. Before yeah. the the college opportunity, what were you what were you looking at? What were you thinking about in terms of what you were going to look at next? Was it coaching? Then was it trying to to move to a different academy, no. different club? What were you thinking?
0: Yeah. So at the time, Blackburn Rovers was, was a was a Premier League club um and the academy was was a good academy so uh, they have exit trials um I think they still have them which is basically every player that gets released the PFA put on trials and other clubs come um also had the opportunity to go to a few clubs that you know at the time were lower down the pyramid and maybe go there for a week of training but again I'd seen so many guys it's so hard because if you you know, there's 20 Premier League clubs, but there were, back then there was 92 professional clubs. There's more now if you include the professional teams that are full-time in the conference. But 92 clubs releasing, you know, 10 to 12 players every year, that's a lot of players trying to get trying to get back in the game. Um, so when the opportunity to, to come to, to Embry-Riddle, get a degree, um, I, I really didn't pursue anything else just because... Again, I've seen so many people try and do that. And the, the way it would work would be, you know, you'd go on a Monday, you may train, Tuesday would be a light session. Thursday would be a game. or oh, sorry, Wednesday would be a game. Thursday, they tell you yes or no. So, really, you've got one game to impress. Um, and, you know, playing with a, with a bunch of guys you don't really know and everything else, I just I just didn't think, you know, I just, it just wasn't something that I really pursued.
1: So were, were you at the time, were you thinking coaching or or was that not even in the periphery of your mind at the moment? You were just thinking, Hey, let me come to America, get a degree, play some soccer, and I'll figure it out after that.
0: Um, no, I wasn't thinking coaching at all. I was, I was, I was really thinking, you know, go get an education, go out four years and, and just see what happens after the four years. The, the, the coaching part didn't really play into into my mind till later on, in my uh, in my college career.
1: Were you were you doing any coaching while you were in school? Um, I know a lot of players uh, nowadays are are you know will get involved in 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 starting kind of getting their licenses and start coaching in clubs or in you know rec programs around the country etc were, were you starting to kind of do that while you were in college or or did you not even think about that until you know towards the end
0: no i did do that i did um I actually at blackman they made us do that so we had to do our uh, fa level one and level two uh, because they were very aware of you know most of us weren't gonna be professional soccer players so they did a really good job of trying to make sure we had, you know, we had to go to, to uh, sixth form or college there. Uh, so we did our FA level one and level two. And then when I got to Embry Riddle, I started doing individual sessions, um, probably my second year there. Um, but I didn't actually start doing any kind of club coaching until I came to, uh, to Alabama.
1: So You're, you're coaching at the university of mobile and you are university of mobile's NAIA school. Um, and you've, uh, you're also coaching with a local club and they are, um, a generational club, which is a thing that I'm very passionate about a club that has a first team and then a youth, um, team structure beneath it. Um, and and I for for a lot of reasons, and I talk about this a lot on the show. For a lot of reasons, I, I feel like that is the way to go. It's 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 the healthiest version of a club that you have a first team and you have youth teams attached to it, and there is a inside the club a player you know pathway uh, to a first team. And uh, recently, um, there was news that that you have been named the the head coach of the men's uh, first team with Gulf Coast Rangers that play in the Gulf Coast Premier League. Um, so, w- what are you looking at going into this Gulf Coast Premier League season as the the new coach of uh, the men's Rangers team?
0: Um, well, first of all, I think, like you said, the 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 the, uh, the fact that you've got a first team now is huge for the club. Um, I guess. When you ask what I'm looking at. Do you mean like what, what are our goals throughout the season or what what do you mean?
1: Yeah, just you know, what are you looking at in terms of, you know, the the players that you have access to that are gonna play in in the team and then you know, what are the goals as a as a team within the league?
0: Well, the, the, the players that you know the, the, the goal of the club with regards to the playing with the players or the the you don't want to call them a playing staff because they're, obviously they're not getting paid, but with regards to the players, is our, our ultimate goal is to one day be able to field a competitive team made up of players who have played for Gulf Coast Rangers through the youth system. So that, that's the goal, right? Like Athletic Bilbao do in, in Spain, where you know they only have players from the Basque region. So try and, try and give our 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds a team to support, a team they can come and watch and, and they can see some of the younger players out there and they can go, you know, I, I want to be that guy. I want to play for this team. Um, that, that's, the, that's the long-term goal. The goal this season within that is to have eight, um, eight current Gulf Coast Rangers or eight homegrown players, I guess we would call them. Eight players who have played for us or currently with us or are about to finish with us. Eight of them in every matchday squad. Um, and you, we're allowed 22 players in the roster, so we want to have eight initially starting this year in every match day squad. Uh, and, and we think we think that's doable. Obviously, the young, the younger, uh, the younger players may have family vacations, and you know they may have different things going on. They may be going to some camps, they may be going to some recruiting visits at different colleges, so it may not always be the same eight. But I think we can do that. Um, we then are adding to the playing to to the playing roster with coaches to kind of try and give it that you know community feel that again it, if you're a 9, 10, 12 year old and you get a chance to go watch your coach typically our coaches and, and young players have really good relationships so I think it's exciting or you know, we I shouldn't say we think it's exciting for the player to be able to go watch his coach play and um, and and hopefully play how he's trying to get the young players to play. Um, although they'll probably make the exact same mistakes players make. Um, And then do have a few spaces on the roster for, for, you know, players who we think can be impact players who can, who can help us stay somewhere near, near the top of the table. If, if that's possible.
1: So one of the things I want to jump on for just a second and kind of talk through, because I think it's so important building off of this idea of a generational club and, the, the aspirations of Gulf Coast Rangers integrating in their academy players, youth players into their first team, kind of following this example of, of athletic Bilbao in, in Spain. Um, when, one of the issues that I see constantly uh, when I am you know, traveling around the U.S., having conversations with people involved in the game is this lack of really understanding a true footballing culture? Um, you lived Sorry. it, growing it, growing up in England, and and having the the opportunity to play in the Blackburn Rovers Academy. Um, and and I think it's one of the big things that's missing for a lot of young players in America is they truly don't understand culture and, and what, a, what a what the what a real true football authentic football culture really is. So this idea that you have uh, some of these coaches within the staff that are on the roster and playing you have some homegrown players that you you identify as um, you know good enough to, to to be on the roster, get playing time etc that you've been developing within the, the youth team academy team setup. And then, obviously, you, you know you're bringing in you know some other difference makers, playmaker type uh, players to 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 kind of round out this roster. I I think you guys have have are figuring out a a pretty good formula for also at the same time of putting a competitive team on the field, also creating a really good foundation for these younger players to understand a football culture do you was that intentional or is that or do you think that's just going to kind of be a happy byproduct of of this setup that you are you are working on
0: well i think you know gerardo's uh the, the director of coaching i think his vision was for it to, to have a cultural effect to build you know a soccer not just a, a soccer like a soccer player but a soccer person and then you know um so so the cultural part I do think is intentional from from um Gerardo we've kind of got there in a really you know I wouldn't say I wouldn't say by accident but we got there in a way so we, we kept losing or we keep losing players um at the youth level that travel four hours, three hours, or they'll, they'll club hop because, um, you know, a, a U15 team 45 minutes away is better or two hours away. So we, we, we kind of sat down and said, what, what can we do to combat this? And one of the things we came up with was, you know, giving the young players that deserve it a chance to play in the GCPL because that's a, that's a better standard than, than what they could play at, you know, because it's men's football. You'll be playing against a 28, 29, 30-year-old player. Um, so rather than playing in your own age group, if, you, if you're that good at 16, 17, 18, then you can play men's football, which is what happens everywhere else in the world. So kind of did it to, to combat losing so many – not so many, but losing players that are traveling four hours, three hours – whatever it may be uh to say look we have this option for for the for the better players or for the players that are good enough to do it why do you need to go you know whatever it may be uh to play when you can when you can stay here and play on the gcpl team
1: and and those players that were uh playing and then kind of looking to to find greener grass somewhere else were they going for programming that was their own age, like a U15 team somewhere else or, or were they yes. looking at, okay.
0: Yes. They'd, they'd go, they'd go for programming in their own age. And, and sometimes they would go because they, they, their idea was or I don't even know if it's the kid or the parents, but sometimes they go because, you know, I, in the parents' mind, the kids' mind, the other club does a better job promoting its players to colleges Um So you know that that's part of the reason why they would say they were leaving. But if if we feel like the highest level in Alabama is ECNL, I would I would think that most GCPL teams, or I would I would be very confident that most GCPL teams would be a U18 ECNL team. So you know we're hoping that it also sits a place within the club.
1: So as you are working towards this this first season in charge this is the second year the second season for rangers yeah. in the gulf coast premier league um mm-hmm. it in in terms of on the field last year the team made the playoffs is that correct yes and, and so obviously that w- I, i'm assuming that would be the goal again this year is to to, to, to do that but in addition to you know you're on on the field goals and, and and building towards the playoffs of the Gulf Coast Premier League, what are you hoping for, per, in particular, that, that group of players that are in the academy, you know, they may be U18, U17 players right. in the academy, that, you know, 8, 9, 10 or whatever that kind of float through the roster over the summer – what is, yeah. What is your hope as their coach for this summer? What are you hoping for them to get out of this experience?
0: Well, one, I hope they get a, a real view of, of of soccer and a different because we will have international players on the team. We'll have players from from different parts of the uh, of the U.S. So, so one, we hope they get a real experience to you know what what soccer means to some people or the different. Levels available to to, to players, and, and when I say levels, I mean I should not call them levels. You know, the uh, A, and the soccer, the soccer. There's really good players at all those levels, and I think sometimes we think, especially down here, we because we are in in lower Alabama, we think you know we see Alabama football and we think, okay, we're going to go play. I want to go play North Carolina, and if I don't play North Carolina, I'm not playing because everything else is terrible. And that's not the reality. There's a lot of very good uh, college soccer programs all over the country. So hopefully it opens their eyes to that a little bit because I do think as a coach, sometimes you know, a, a player will come to me and say, hey, coach, I want to play college soccer. i am okay, wh- where do you want to go? And they'll say, Wake Forest. And 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 you're thinking that's, that's just not going to happen. You can play college soccer, but it doesn't, you know, there's other programs out there other than Wake Forest or whatever it may be. Um, the second thing, or part of it, not necessarily in that order, but we want them to improve as soccer players. We want them to, to be challenged, um, to feel like you know, what the club is doing for them is helping them in their pathway, whether that's moving on to college, whether they don't go play college, but they want to come back and play GCPL following summer. Uh, so just continue their love of the game. And, and thirdly, we hope that they that they you know they're, they're proud to play for the club and, and represent the club well.
1: So, the this will be you know the uh, as I mentioned the, the first season that you're leading this team a, as their coach, um, and and I, I think there's some excitement and and energy building towards the season, a, a change in venue for the club. Uh, playing a little bit closer to the, the home training base uh, compared to last year, I think will be a, a benefit uh, for the yeah. club as well. Um, looking at, at the Rangers project as a whole and kind of what you've observed over the last nine years, what are you what are you looking at in terms of what you hope to see over these next, say, two, three, or four years? for the club as it continues to build and continues to grow
0: Hmm. well we'll we'll say from where we were when i started uh, the 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 level of our players now is much better and i think that that comes also because soccer has become much more popular in this country you can find it you know, most Saturday mornings, it's on regular television as well as, you know, your NBC Sports Networks. Um, so, I think the, you know, the, the goal of the club, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's about i about continue to build a soccer community that have more and more people play the game. And then, as 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 that happens, if we do have, if the talent pool continues to get better and better, then having appropriate levels for those teams. Um, but I think all the knowledge just growing, continuing to grow the game, try and be an impact in the community through the game, uh, and hopefully the summer team will do that. If we can get some decent attendances as well, hopefully we can create a little bit more exposure for the game, and um, put more people out there who may not watch soccer as much.
1: Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. And uh, look forward to seeing what uh, progress is made this summer with uh, the team and and uh, under your leadership. And uh, again, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Nice
1: that was Daniel Whelan, the head coach of the University of Mobile and one of the staff coaches at Gulf Coast Rangers football club and uh they are located in South Alabama, right in the the Mobile uh area. And um the the beautiful thing about this particular club and and other clubs like it around the country is that they are a generational club and um it's 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 really, really um beneficial in so many ways as we've talked about on the show and And uh, I hope more clubs choose to follow in that pathway and in those footsteps because it can really do a lot of good things for your club and your organization and your community. So the, uh, the sponsor for today's show is Charity Water. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world who need it and need it desperately. And, uh, you can find more information about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We'll be back in just.
0: I a thavauna ek class <laughs> In Glasgow, <laughs> but I didn't know in
1: the
0: I want to
1: no. be nurse Welcome back to the show. I'd like to thank Daniel Whelan for coming on and spending some time with us. Uh, if you had any trouble hearing some of the audio, um, we apologize. There's a little bit of a cell phone issue there, but um, overall, I, I really loved his feedback and insight on you know growing up in England, the transition to America you know, in college, and then finding a pathway for himself uh as a coach and uh and molder of talent and 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 developing players um and and then and then kind of seeing um you know the efforts uh that he's undertaken t- in terms of you know leading a university as well as being a staff coach and the first team coach uh with the Gulf Coast Rangers football club the the pathway that he was describing as a player for himself is, is one that is um, not necessarily the norm here in America. It, it, is, it is not accessible, uh, the opportunity to go play in, 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 a, in academies that provide a pathway to a first team uh, especially teams that are professional. Uh, he mentioned there was when he was coming up there was 92 professional clubs in England. Now there's more. but even then when there was 92 clubs, um, there was there's only a you know a finite number and, and for a country the size of England, you know the access was was a little bit easier even though the competition level was high which which helps raise quality right? So demand puts pressures on the market, the market responds accordingly. And in America, things are are kind of all over the place. So if, if you are a player and you want to make it as a professional footballer, the odds are that you're going to have to do some extraordinary things to make it. And some of those extraordinary things may be moving it may be moving to another state, another city, it may be moving to a different club, it may be relocating out of the country for schooling or or an opportunity overseas. But it it, it is it is a shame that our that our country hasn't figured out how to do soccer properly. And not being able to do it properly has detrimental effects on player opportunities. These opportunities or, or lack thereof means that players have to take on these extraordinary measures to make it as a, as a professional and make it at the highest level that they possibly can. Um, you know, seeing some of the, the stories and reading some of the stories of players who have made it overseas and who, who have done everything in their power to, 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 get out of their, their present circumstances and and forge a path uh, to reach their dreams. Um, every one of those stories is inspiring, but it's also an indictment on our system. It's why I say often that players make it despite our system, not because of it. There are things that we could do that would, would, would really help uh, the pathway. The, the, the U.S. Soccer Federation... Um, needs to, to do a better job of providing a, a system that is connected. We talk about it all the time on the show. And, 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 and this idea of promotion and relegation and open access and merit-based uh, competition and, and opportunities, when you have that kind of system in place, um, it, it allows quality to rise to the top. Merit matters, and and it's it becomes the the most important function and piece and focus of a club, of a player, of a coach, and and when we we look at what we can do in our local markets, uh, while while there are many issues at the federation level, and and despite proclamations from the federation that we're, we're making progress in this area and this area and this area and this area. area. And they'll, they'll give off a, a list of, of a litany of things that they think, you know, are relevant to us in, in, in terms of being involved in, in soccer in America. There, there are a lot of things that aren't going right, but there are a lot of things that we can do about it. We can do things about, uh, certain situations especially when we're talking about local and one of the things i am deeply passionate about is the structure of clubs meaning that a lot of clubs because of the segregation and segmentation of u.s soccer are are not clubs that that i would classify as generational clubs these clubs uh to be a generational club means that you have a, a first team that is you know an adult team, uh, and that team is playing in some type of league. It could be playing in a city league. It could be playing in a state league. It could be playing in an uh, amateur regional league, a semi-pro league, a professional league. It, it, what league your first team plays in isn't as relevant as the fact that you have one. And then, in addition to that, by having a first team, you also have your academy or youth teams beneath that team. And what it does is, it in the same way that that we need a pathway for clubs to make it to the top, you need a pathway for clubs to, to, to be able to facilitate development of players and the best pathway for player development is being in a club that has a first team and basically the club kind of becomes a pyramid itself where you have this big base of players uh, that play in a you know a a more uh, recreational type of level Um, maybe they're not quite as serious maybe maybe they're not that good, but they like the game and they like to play the game. And then you find some players out of that group that, that are are good and they enjoy it and they want to play and they want to spend more time. And, and, and so you, you work with them more. And then eventually out of all of that, you start to find one player here, one player there, one player over here that have the ability, they have the talent to work their way up to the top. And by working their way up to the top, they make it to the first team. And what that first team does is it becomes not just uh, an opportunity to play more games or continue to play as you get older, but it also becomes a goal. It becomes a a light at the end of the tunnel within the club in the same way that promotion is is the light at the end of the tunnel for a club that is trying to work its way from the grassroots as high as it possibly can. When a club is a generational club, the players within the club are kind of following the same pathway that the club itself is following on a club level. The players are trying to follow that same pathway on the the club level from a player development side. And, and what you have is a situation where players are now able to easily understand what is, my, what is my end goal, what does success look like? And ultimately, by providing environments where these players can continue to develop and be inspired by players that are older than them and, and, and have been playing at a higher level than them, what, it, what happens is you, you start to establish a footballing culture, a soccer culture within your club, a generational hierarchy, but it's also a generational passing on of the culture of the club. So the way the club plays on the field, the way the club handles uh, things in the locker room, the way the club handles how it travels, how it presents itself, uh, in public, how it 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 handles adversity in a match. All of those things start to get handed off, passed on from older player to younger player, uh, almost by you know, osmosis. it's 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 a transference. It's not necessarily gonna happen in a classroom style setting. It's gonna happen in in a in a way that is is a casual, you know, kind of, um, coming together of, of relationship. And, and that relationship then leads to that younger player coming to a place of understanding what it means to be, in this case of the Gulf Coast Rangers, a Rangers men's player. And, and the pride that comes with wearing that jersey. And when you score a goal that you're grabbing that badge and you are celebrating with your community, with your city, uh, with, even with your region, as your club continues to grow and, and, and fans start to, to drive and, and, and want to get uh, access to, to, to your organization and your club because you're, you're becoming more and more successful. This kind of culture is something that Europe and South America, Central America, and, and, and even in parts of Asia have come to understand and, and experience for so long. And that experience has given these clubs, uh, environments and cultures and and opportunities for their players, even when they are are brought in from the outside, they they feel it, they sense it, they 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 begin to understand what it means to be a Barcelona player or a Real Madrid player or a Real Batiste player or a Blackburn Rovers player or or a Liverpool Football Club player. You start to you start to feel it and you start to understand what it what it means to wear that shirt and to tap that badge because it, it goes beyond a contract or it goes beyond the opportunity to just play the game. You feel like you are an ambassador of that club to that fan base, to those supporters, to that community, to that city. And, and the, the, the way that that culture is built and developed is over time and it's through these generational relationships. And, and ultimately, I, I think that's why it's so important, so very important that American soccer clubs begin to to really look in the mirror and examine what you're doing and figure out some things that you can do better. And one of those is that if you are a club right now and you are not a generational club, maybe you are just a first team Amateur club, maybe you are a a youth club and you don't have a first team. My hope is that you would really listen and learn and research and seek out understanding and and, and information from clubs around the world and, and and see if there's a way forward for your club to begin to, to rethink the way it operates to rethink what's possible to rethink about the future and the present and and build off of your past so that your players have something at the end of the of the tunnel a light at the end of the tunnel something they can ins- uh, aspire to something that inspires them and ultimately connects with your community look when when you are are, are building a first team and, and regardless of whether or not you have a, a generational club, maybe maybe you are just a, a first team club, or maybe you are a club that is generational. In either case, if you are trying to connect with your community, you've got to dig deep roots. You've got to to, to spend the time, the energy, the resources to connect with the the leaders in your community. And with the families in your community, especially those who, who hold soccer uh, near and dear to their heart, they're, they're avid fans and they are, are avid uh, supporters of football around the world. And in, in, in digging those roots and digging deep roots and trying to find a way to really not just be in the community, but be part of the community, be with the community. Think, think about what, what you can do for them, not just what you want from them, but what you can do for them. And there, the reason why I'm a big fan of generational clubs is that it, it gets a lot easier when, when a, a young eight-year-old boy or a nine-year-old girl or, or, or you know, a 12-year-old um, preteen is looking up to their first team and they are inspired by what they see it's a lot easier for your first team uh, in your club to be able to to make that connection to those families to make those connections to those businesses and sponsors and commercial deals because now all of a sudden it's not just about 8 10 15 20 30 people now all of a sudden you're a club and you've got dozens upon dozens of people maybe hundreds maybe thousands of people in your club that all of a sudden changes the trajectory of what is possible for your club and not only does it become possible for your club but you're also at the same time changing the the future and the opportunities for the players in your club these players now have 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 an idol they have something that they can strive for a goal that becomes achievable in 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 something they can work towards. Right now, most players who play in youth teams that have no first team are are just going through programming as if they are just going to school. And they may have fond memories when they leave uh, the program and leave the club. And they, in the same way, they may have fond memories when they leave high school. But when they leave, they're done. And they might come back for an alma mater game. They may come back for homecoming. They may come back to a high school for for, you know, some event or a reunion, but it's no longer a part of who they are. It's no longer a part of their everyday life. It's no more a part, uh, a big part of what they do with their time, with their talents, with their gifts, their treasure, their their resources, their finances. And in by shifting into a generational club, what you're doing is you are providing a, a platform for your players to become lifetime members of your club. They become loyal to your club. And it may not be in your first generation, but as you continue to grow, you you can eventually reach these levels that you see around the world. You start to see generational transference of support towards clubs. And those numbers begin to mushroom. They begin to just grow exponentially it's something that u.s soccer and those involved at the highest levels of the federation have completely missed when it comes to american soccer they have completely missed this concept and an understanding of what a club really is and and what it means in a community when it's done the right way and, and, and missing that has had impacts all across the, the, the country. All across America, we have missed the opportunity. And, and, and we've seen even now with Major League Soccer starting in the mid-90s, even now coming into 2019, 25 years um, and more of Major League Soccer and their franchises and their failure to connect with local communities and build generational transference. Some of these franchises have been trying to figure out how to work backwards and fix it and, and do things to get in the community. Some have been more successful than others. But, but it's, it, it is important to realize that our first division in America, Major League Soccer, it, it is not born, it was not born out of a true footballing mentality. Uh, it, was, it was born out of, a, of, an, of an opportunity or a mindset to take an opportunity to try to Americanize soccer. And they've been trying to, to, to tweak things as they go and improve things as they grow. But ultimately, they've always missed that secret sauce, which is having a club being, be an independent club and part an integral part of its community when a club is that is that vital to its community if it shut down the whole community would know and and in sadly in many places throughout the country if soccer clubs closed down the effects on the community may not even be noticed for quite some time because Ultimately, in the end, that club did not build deep roots right where they are. The impact usually comes on families because of programming. So that if a club closes down and, and it was a youth club and now th- those opportunities are no longer there, it, it's, a, it's, it's a programming loss in their schedule and, and, and a programming loss for their kids to play It's not necessarily a loss in terms of their emotion and their emotional connection to that club. So this is an area where I think we've got to do a better job in our clubs right where we are. Maybe you are a parent and and your kids play in a club and you're trying to figure out, well, well, I would like to see that with my kids in my, my kids' club. Get involved. Volunteer. Maybe you're not a coach, but you can help in some way. Maybe you've got a business background, a legal background. Maybe maybe you're 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 in construction and you can help with some projects at the park or things for the club. Whatever the case may be, but get involved. Make it your club too. Um, By doing those kind of things, getting involved in the in the in the in the local in the grassroots of American soccer. That, that place where the game really starts for most players, you can start to make a big impact on that community and in the environments that your kids are playing in. Maybe you are a coach. Maybe you're a coach in a club and, and, and you wanna see your club aspire to greatness, aspire to be excellent in what you do. And, and you wanna see your club take some next steps I would encourage you to, to start having those conversations with your fellow coaches and your board members and and, and start to dream out loud with each other and encourage one another in, in terms of what you can do to build your club for the future, to build your club into what you think it could be and and, and taking the, those next steps, not only for the present, but what you want to build for the future. And if you're a player and, and you watch the Premier League and you watch La Liga and Serie A and the Bundesliga, the Eredivisie and so many other great leagues around the world. Maybe you, maybe you watch major league soccer, the USL or other leagues that are right there in your backyard. The best thing that you can do is love the game and play the game. Enjoy the game, become the best player that you can be. Try your best and, 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 Put the time in. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be frustrating at times. If you're really, really working at it really, really hard, it, it may even lead you to tears because of frustration. But I promise you, the better you get and the and the the more opportunities that you take, the, the more proud you're going to be of yourself. The the more uh, you're going to have a feeling of accomplishment, a pride in yourself. Um, and and you're going, you're gonna you're gonna become confident in who you are and what you can offer to a team, what you can become as a player. And regardless of whether or not you make it as a professional, that work ethic and that love for the game can translate into so many different things, even if it's not directly connected to soccer down the road, it could have incredible impacts and life lessons that you can learn as a player playing and giving your best for your club. And and your best may not be good enough to make it to the first team and, and in the same way that that Daniel Whalen was talking earlier on the show about how he, he wanted to play in the Premier League and he wanted to play for the Blackburn Rovers and he had tried really hard, but he realized that 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 dream was just not going to happen and so he he took another opportunity and now even though at the time he wasn't even thinking about being a coach now he has the opportunity to make an impact on future generations of players and current gener- the current generation of players in the club as well as at the University of Mobile so it's 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 really neat to see and, and experience and learn from people around the game. Uh, people like Daniel who, who have gone through the player pathway and realized that the end was here and that he needed to make a shift. And then now all of a sudden, he, he comes to America, he gets a new experience, and he takes it. And And now he's He's able to live this out as his profession and be and still be involved in the game and be a coach and and make an impact on people. I I think too often when we're looking at soccer in America, we we miss what it really means to, to love the game and be passionate about the game. We get caught up in just kind of, you know, checking boxes and and and. You know, making sure, okay, we got our kids to practice or, you know, we, we did this or we went to a game, we went to a tournament. You know, it just kind of becomes monotonous. It becomes boring or, or it, it just becomes busy. And we don't stop to just think about the moment we're in, the opportunities that we have, the, the, the excitement and the, and the passion and love that we really do have for this game. And, and although America has many warts when it comes to our structure and our systems, what America does have that I believe it has in a greater supply than any other country in the world is it has potential. And if we will work together, if we will work where we are individually and connect with one another and work together across the country, I think we can make massive strides as a soccer country. And hopefully one day... We will first aspire to this, but also take the actions to achieve becoming the greatest soccer country on earth. That's my hope. That's what I work on every single day. That's what I, I want to see from American soccer. It's what I want to see from U.S. soccer, and it's why I, I'm always looking at things and in examining things and talking to people and trying to bring people on the show that have these experiences and in and, and have this insight and background so that we can all learn and understand where we are, what our place is in the world and what our place is right where we are and how we can help build and grow the game, because it is a beautiful game when it's played at the highest level to me there is no greater game in the world it is captivating it is amazing it is exhilarating and it is it is for me the best sport in the world and i love it and i and i hope to see that our country continues to take strides in 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 building up what we're doing and taking it to a level that is is able to match what our potential really is because we do have incredible potential. We have cities in this country that don't have professional sports and, and, for, and certainly don't have professional uh, football teams or professional soccer teams that dwarf so- cities in, in Europe that do have professional teams. Villarreal is a a club in Spain that's in a city of less than 100,000 people. Ibar, a a, a club in Spain that has made news in recent years in their promotion into La Liga, the first division in Spain, is from a a city of of less than 50,000 people. So this idea that in America we can't have professional clubs all over this country that are doing amazing work in cities of 100, 250, 500,000 people, to me, is crazy. And we should be trying to do everything we can to create a system and structure and in resources that helps get us to that place. So I'd like to thank Daniel Whelan for coming on the show. And, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in and and for listening and watching the show the feedback has been incredible you can learn more about the show at danielworkman.com thanks again for joining us we will see you tomorrow